Hello, everyone. It's August 13th. It is good to have you with us as we continue to read through the Bible, making our way through all 66 books in the course of a year. This is the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast, and my name is David McAdam. I'm happy to be your host. My prayer is that we will all have Christ on the throne of our hearts and the gospel on the tips of our tongues. You will remember from reading the book of Acts that the first century church turned the world upside down. They went everywhere gossiping the gospel. They communicated the truths of the gospel with contagious enthusiasm and through the Holy Spirit's attending power. Hearts were softened and made receptive to the good news of who God is and what He has done through the person of His Son. The Bible unfolds the theme of redemption and restoration. And in the book of Nehemiah, which we are reading in the Old Testament, we are seeing an example of a restoration work in the repair of the once ransacked city of Jerusalem and the rebuilding of its perimeter walls. The defenses and definition of the city had been broken down. Now the city's testimony is being reestablished and its defenses rebuilt. However, the progress of God's people is bound to be met with opposition, and so it is with Nehemiah. Let's go now to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 5, beginning with verse 14, and this is where we pick up the instructive historical narrative. Nehemiah's Generosity Nehemiah, chapter 5, verse 14 Moreover, from the time that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the twentieth year to the thirty-second year of Artaxerxes the king, twelve years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allowance of the governor. The former governors who were before me laid heavy burdens on the people and took from them for their daily ration forty shekels of silver. Even their servants lorded it over the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also persevered in the work on this wall, and we acquired no land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table one hundred and fifty men, Jews and officials, besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. Now what was prepared at my expense for each day was one ox and six choice sheep and birds, and every ten days all kinds of wine in abundance. Yet for all this I did not demand the full allowance of the governor, because the service was too heavy on this people. Remember for my good, O my God, all that I have done for this people. Conspiracy Against Nehemiah Chapter 6 Now when Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, and let us meet together at Hakafirim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. In it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports, So now come and let us take counsel together. 
Then I sent to him, saying, No such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home, he said, Let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. But I said, Should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, O my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. The wall is finished. So the wall was finished on the twenty-fifth day of the month of Elul in fifty-two days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Ara, and his son Jehohanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence, and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Chapter 7 Now when the wall had been built, and I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart, to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it, These were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon had carried into exile. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own town. They came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Raamiah. Nehemani, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispereth, Bigvi, Nehum, Baana. The number of the men of the people of Israel, the sons of Parosh, 2,172, the sons of Shephatiah, 372, the sons of Ara, 652, the sons of Pahath Moab, namely the sons of Jeshua and Joab, 2,818, the sons of Elam, 1,254, the sons of Zatu, 845, the sons of Zakai, 760, the sons of Benui, 648, the sons of Bebai, 628, the sons of Asgad, 
2,322, the sons of Adonikam, 667, the sons of Bigvi, 2,067, the sons of Aden, 655, the sons of Ater, namely of Hezekiah, 98, the sons of Hashum, 328, the sons of Bezai, 324, the sons of Harif, 112, the sons of Gibeon, 95, the men of Bethlehem and Netophah, 188, the men of Anathoth, 128, the men of Bethazmabeth, 42, the men of Kiriath-Jearim, Shephirah, and Beroth, 743, the men of Ramah and Geba, 621, the men of Michmas, 122, the men of Bethel and Ai, 123, the men of the other Nebo, 52, the sons of the other Elam, 1,254, the sons of Harim, 320, the sons of Jericho, 345, the sons of Lod, Hadid, and Ono, 721, the sons of Sena, 3,930, the priests, the sons of Jediah, namely the house of Jeshua, 973, the sons of Immer, 1,052, the sons of Pashur, 1,247, the sons of Harim, 1,017, the Levites, the sons of Jeshua, namely of Kadmiel, of the sons of Hodavah, 74. The singers, the sons of Asaph, 148. The gatekeepers, the sons of Shalom, the sons of Ater, the sons of Talmon, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hatita, the sons of Shobai, 138. The temple servants, the sons of Siha, the sons of Hasufa, the sons of Tabaoth, the sons of Keros, the sons of Sia, the sons of Padon, the sons of Lebanon, the sons of Hagabah, the sons of Shalmai, the sons of Hanan, the sons of Gidel, the sons of Gahar, the sons of Reiah, the sons of Rezin, the sons of Nakoda, the sons of Gazam, the sons of Uzzah, the sons of Pasea, the sons of Besai, the sons of Meunim, the sons of Nefusesim, the sons of Bakbuk, the sons of Hakufa, the sons of Harhur, the sons of Basleth, the sons of Mahida, the sons of Harsha, the sons of Barkos, the sons of Sisera, the sons of Tema, the sons of Neziah, the sons of Hatepha, the sons of Solomon's servants, the sons of Sotai, the sons of Sophereth, the sons of Pereda, the sons of Jaala, the sons of Darkon, the sons of Gidel, the sons of Shephatiah, the sons of Hatil, the sons of Pokareth Hazabaim, the sons of Ammon. All the temple servants and the sons of Solomon's servants were 392. The following were those who came up from Tel-Mela, Tel-Harsha, Cherub, Adon, and Imer. But they could not prove their father's houses nor their descent, whether they belonged to Israel. The sons of Deliah, the sons of Tobiah, the sons of Tekada, 642. Also of the priests, the sons of Hobiah, the sons of Hakoz, the sons of Barzillai, who had taken a wife of the daughters of Barzillai the Gileadite, who was called by their name. These sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but it was not found there, so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. The governor told them that they were not to partake of the most holy food until a priest with Urim and Thummim could arise. Totals of People and Gifts 
the whole assembly together was 42,360, besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337. And they had 245 singers, male and female. Their horses were 736, their mules 245, their camels 435, and their donkeys 6,720. Now some of the heads of the fathers' houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 derricks of gold, 50 basins, 30 priests' garments, and 500 minas of silver. And some of the heads of the fathers' houses gave into the treasury of the work 20,000 derricks of gold and 2,200 minas of silver. And what the rest of the people gave was 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,000 minas of silver, and 67 priests' garments. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and all Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. And this concludes today's portion of the Old Testament, our reading from the book of Nehemiah. Now let's take a few moments to step back and make some observations. Nehemiah led by example. Although he was appointed as governor by the Persian king Artaxerxes, he did not take advantage of his executive privileges, such as the royal food allotment, nor did he collect funds from the people for his personal support. He did not lord it over the people. His was an example of consecrated servant leadership. He never asked others to make a commitment that he himself was not willing to make. Nehemiah's behavior is contrasted with others who had executive privileges. What made the difference? Nehemiah explains. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides forty shekels of silver. Even their servants domineered the people. But I did not do so because of the fear of God. Nehemiah chapter 5 verse 15. How do you use your power of influence? Do you provide an example of wholehearted commitment to the goal? I also had applied myself to the work on this wall. We did not buy any land, and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Nehemiah chapter 5 verse 16. As leader, he worked with his fellow servants. He shared what he had with others. 150 Jews and officials ate at his table. He did what would be best for the morale of the team. He continues to resort to the Lord in prayer, asking that he be given favor in his relationships with the people. In chapter 5 verse 19. Sanballat, like the enemy of our souls, was relentless in his efforts to bring harm to the work. He asked Nehemiah to come down off the wall and meet him in one of the villages on the plain of Ono in Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Nehemiah had a proper estimation of his God-given calling. Even when it may not look like much, we must see the work that God has called us to as being a great work. So I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 3 Four times the messengers of Sanballat came with this invitation, and four times Nehemiah gave them the same answer. On the fifth attempt, Sanballat resorts to slander. His messenger brings an accompanying letter accusing Nehemiah of selfish motives and threatening to let the emperor know that Nehemiah is planning a revolt and has appointed prophets who will proclaim him as king in Judah. Nehemiah protests their lies, while at the same time praying to be strengthened to continue the work, in verse 9 of chapter 6. 
What a great example of one who presses on even in the face of difficulties, discouragements, and personal attacks. Tobiah and Sambalat hired Shemaiah to intimidate Nehemiah with news of a planned attempt on his life. They attempted to lure Nehemiah into a trap that would cause him to violate God's command regarding the temple. A false prophetess named Noadiah and others tried to intimidate him. Nehemiah correctly discerns that these were plans of the enemy. And so we read of a landmark occasion. Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 15 So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month of Elul in 52 days. Even Nehemiah's enemies had to admit that this remarkable achievement had to be the work of God. In chapter 7, gatekeepers, Levites, and singers are appointed. Gates and gatekeepers were vital to the security of the city. The city needed to be protected from those who might enter or leave the city to do harm. The city council would meet at the gates and shopkeepers would set up their businesses by the entrances to the city. City gates would open after sunrise and close at sunset. Although the wall was built and the city secured, there were still few who lived in the city and few houses had been built. Nehemiah saw the need to repopulate the city, but he needed to ensure that those who lived there were descendants of Israel with land rights in Judah. He examined the genealogical records, most likely the same one that Ezra found in Ezra chapter 2. Now let's move on to our New Testament reading, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 through 13. Food Offered to Idols Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that, quote, all of us possess knowledge, end quote. This, quote, knowledge, end quote, pops up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven and on earth, as indeed there are many quote-unquote gods and many quote-unquote lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. And this is the end of our reading from the New Testament passage from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. In chapter 8, Paul deals with the problem of eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. Many of the Corinthians had been delivered from their former participation in occult practices which involved making sacrifices of thousands of animals to idols in the pagan temples. Part of the meat would be sold to the nearby markets and offered at a cheaper price that would make the purchase reasonable. However, 
partaking of meat that had been used for this purpose, violated the consciences of some of their members. They recognized how demonic their false worship had been and did not want anything remotely associated with it. By God's grace, the Corinthian Christians had embraced the work of the cross and concluded their past. They signaled this fact with their public profession of faith in baptism. It is understandable that they wanted nothing more to do with their old life. But that was not easy to do in Corinth. The local meat markets often got its supply from the animal carcasses offered at the temple of idols. Because Christians in Corinth recognized that there is no other god but the triune god of the scriptures, many thought it should be no problem to purchase meat regardless of where it came from. Others knew the importance of holiness and desired to steer clear of anything associated with idol worship. The danger was that those with strong convictions that all idol worship is counterfeit and that meat is just meat and that all things are lawful were proud and insensitive in the way they dealt with this issue. Their bold disregard for those with a more sensitive conscience about eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols brought division and offense. Those with weaker consciences felt defiled when they ate meat from the Corinthian markets, knowing it had been used for dark purposes. Paul explains that the sin is not in eating the meat, it is being insensitive and unloving towards others. It would be sinful to knowingly offend a brother's conscience when that offense could be avoided. When you sin against your brother by wounding their conscience, you sin against Christ. Notice Paul's resolve to bring his liberty and knowledge into check out of a loving regard for his brothers and sisters in Christ. Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 13. And now we move on to the book of Psalms where we read Psalm 33, verses 1 to 11. We will read this psalm in two parts, one part today and one part tomorrow. And reading the psalm today is Peter Healy. The Steadfast Love of the Lord, Psalm 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart to all generations. Thank you, Peter. Psalm 33 begins with a call to joyful, symphonic, literally sounding together, musical praise to God. He calls us to sing of our fresh appreciation of who God is, sing to the Lord a new song and shout for joy. In verses 4 through 7, he gives reasons why we should honor the Lord with exuberant praise and worship. His word is right and true. 
His character is holy, faithful, and full of unfailing love. He acts according to His righteousness and justice. He demonstrates His power in creation and His dominion over all the peoples of the earth. His purposes will not be thwarted, despite the works of those who oppose Him. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart from generation to generation. Psalm 33, verses 10 through 11. Now let's move on to our next stop in our Bible reading tour, the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 21, verses 8 through 10. The way of the guilty is crooked, but the conduct of the pure is upright. It is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. The soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no mercy in his eyes. The first proverb reminds us that our conduct in attitude, speech, and deed gives evidence of our essential character, disclosing whether we are reliable or a scoundrel. Verse 9 reminds us to be careful to recognize the essential character of a person before choosing a spouse. Youthful appearances are fleeting. Character traits are not. Being married to a contentious person is regrettable and could make you want to camp out on the roof rather than face their irritability. Verse 10 also teaches us to be careful to discern properly a person's character. You are not likely to find empathy, understanding, or thoughtfulness coming from a person who is selfish and fully given to their own evil desires. Let's bring what we have learned today before the Lord in prayer. Lord, you reign supreme over all. The vastness of your created universe, your attention to the smallest details of our lives, and your ability to overrule the plans of the nations inspire us to worship. It gives us great confidence to know that your purposes will not be thwarted. You have rescued us by your strong arm, and no one can pluck us out of your hand. We trust your character of perfect righteousness and impeccable justice, and rejoice to know that you are also full of mercy and compassion. All of this has been shown to us in the person and work of your Son, who loved us and gave himself for us, in that while we were still sinners, he died for us. We ask that you continue your redemptive work as you conform us to his image and make us useful in the work of building up the testimony of your glory in all the earth. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. This concludes today's excursion through the one-year Bible. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to continually remind us of the truths that we are learning. May our thinking be established on the foundation of divine viewpoint. Take heart, fellow Christian. The Lord is not finished with us yet. From glory to glory we are being changed into His likeness. So until next time, keep on keeping on. Remember, you have been set free to share the joy, the love, the peace that we have found in Christ with others. If you'd like to contact us, you can always write us at podcast at newlife.org. Again, if you'd like to know more about New Life Community Church and its ministries, you can visit our website and also there subscribe to a daily email written commentary of our daily reading. So let me sign off with a heartfelt salutation. In English-speaking countries, we often say goodbye, which is a contraction of God be with you. May you be blessed and made mindful of His presence. Shalom. Shalom.